Thank you for choosing Tox News, a Portum Rebellion broadcast. I'm your host, the wacko weirdo, rebel scum Jedi hero. After a long hiatus of about five, six days, who can really remember? Got a big episode, so strap in because since I took the time off, there's a lot to go through. I was planning on do this Sunday, recording it on a Monday, but uh, Sunday I ate a bagel and some burritos and couldn't really find the revolutionary muster to get the episode done, so here we are. So what exactly do we have today? Well, it looks like we're going to go over the ridiculousness that is the government spending. It was of heated debate for about six days after President Trump refused to sign the COVID relief bill that was strapped onto the omnibus spending bill that Congress passes about every year. And so, where are we going to go through? All of it. We're going through all of it. And I want to begin the story on Twitter. Yeah. So let's head on over there on the screen. Check it out on YouTube, Talks News, if you want to see all my sources. But let's scroll up here a little bit, get through all of this nonsense right here, get through all of this nonsense, nonsense. I have tweet a lot. Okay, so I must have left these ones down further. Preparation is key. Wow, where did I put the... Uh, There's very important stuff in here, and I can't seem to find exactly where I had put it. You see health. All right, so uh, it would come... I think uh, the, what, uh, the 21st or the 22nd, I believe it was the 20th or 21st, actually. But it says here that Congress passes COVID-19 relief spending package with overwhelming support. And you ask, well, how much support, right? And I say uh, the Senate voted 92 to 6 late Monday. So that was, yeah, the 21st, uh, to approve the infusion of coronavirus aid together with a $1.4 trillion spending bill that will fund the government through September 2021. Initially, the Senate's presiding officer said the vote was 91 to 7, which was later corrected to 92 to 6, meaning 6 voted against this. And let's remember that the Senate is still at a uh, high Republican lead. So, you know, they voted all for it. Everybody was down for it. And then Trump kind of surprised everybody. He vetoed the bill, saying that $600 wasn't enough and that he wanted $2,000. And then also, there's just too much junk in the omnibus bill, and he's offended that he would be asked to sign it. In fact, in 2018, uh, when Trump had signed the biggest omnibus bill uh, in American history, he said that he would never sign a bill like that ever again. And here we are two years later, and he did. He signed it. He did. Spoiler alert to this story. He has signed the bill as of today. Um, but first, I want to get to the reaction 
of Trump saying $2,000. And I'm going to begin with Amy Klobuchar speaking to Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. And now he's saying that he's going to veto it. There is some nuance to it with him saying that he wants a larger size payment to the American people, which is something that Democrats argue for at every step of the process. And now House Democrats say, OK, well, if that's what he wants, we'll provide him with that. Um, I-, I wonder just one thing that does bother me about Democrats when they're being interviewed, like Nancy Pelosi did it very often during her heated interview with Wolf Blitzer, but they smile way too much smiling way too much like if you're having a serious conversation about um financial aid to citizens or just financial aid in general like if you're in a private room no cameras on you i doubt you're smiling as much as amy klobuchar is cheesing right now and i just i don't like it i don't like the facade of everything being so pleasant when we're having a pretty serious conversation rachel maddow's face fits the situation whereas amy klobuchar is just putting on this mask and i just I'm just saying I don't like it. What you what you make of this very last minute um, scramble of of what we thought was going to proceed here with this relief bill? I kept thinking tonight, well, these pardons are an attack on our very democracy. Uh, this is an attack on every American. People who are struggling to get by right now out of work, whose unemployment, the unemployment is going to basically end the day after Christmas if this doesn't pass. People who are out of work, uh, people who need uh, the help. The vaccine distribution, Rachel, is in this $30 billion. These vaccines are not going to just parachute into a small town in the middle of Minnesota. Uh, We need... So the thing that Amy Klobuchar is focusing on is like he should have just signed the bill. The Americans need assistance now. What I find very interesting, though, is that she didn't just go, well, yeah, we can give more money to, you know, essential workers and workers in general, citizens. She she just said she really focused in, well, we should just sign the bill that we've negotiated and agreed upon in the in, in the in the Congress. And it's, you know, I don't think Democrats are really that on board to giving everybody $2,000. Of course, they're willing to in the sake of populism, in the sake of looking cool. But, um, you know, deep down in their marrow, I don't think that Amy Klobuchar is an advocate for giving Americans more money than she believes that they need. And that's why she said, just sign the bill. And I can understand, like, yes, there's an urgency to this, but would it have taken that much time to actually, you know, rewrite the $600 and make it $2,000? Would it have changed that the bill that much? You know, maybe increase the, the spending, or you could reduce, you know, other aspects of the billions of dollars that they're giving out to give more money into that program. But, you know, it, it, I don't think it would have really taken that much time to fix one provision, right? the help for the states to get the vaccines out and he is literally undermining our entire effort on and that's the whole thing is that i was worried that the government was going to shut down because of the coronavirus bill being attached to the omnibus bill and so much push against the omnibus bill and so i had originally thought well if the government shuts down they pass the COVID relief money it's not really going to matter in the end that wouldn't matter because we would be stuck you know the government wouldn't be able to distribute anything because it's shut down so I I was worried about that, and thanks to uh, Trump, everybody was a little bit worried about that. Except for some Republicans. You know, I saw a lot of right-wingers on Twitter saying, like, let it shut down. You know, as if we don't need to distribute vaccines to, you know, nurses, essential workers, and the most vulnerable immediately. 
testing and vaccine distribution. This was a hard-fought negotiation. Of course, you're right. Uh, Democrats were pushing uh, for more funds uh, for the individual payments. But Yeah, there was a bill with Bernie Sanders on $2,000. Uh, Rashida Tlaib has added an amendment to the bill to make it $2,000, so we'll see if that gets passed. As we're speaking right now, at, at the time of this recording, they are debating it on the House or the, the House floor right now so in the end uh, this was a negotiation and he knows very well we're reaching the end here with the unemployment with our small businesses can't take it anymore uh, one yelp study early in the year showed we were having 800 small businesses close a day um, and there's over 300 billion dollars to help small businesses in this bill uh, it is the uh, second biggest stimulus uh, in the history of america and for him to turn this down obviously we have the votes to override his veto in the houses, we have those votes, but he should not be doing this right now when his own treasury secretary, Steve Mnuchin, was involved in the negotiations from beginning to end. And that right there shows that most of this was just political posturing. It's all a part of the show. And the exact show that Trump was trying to put on now that he's actually signed the bill as is, I don't know what the point was other than to maybe stir shit. Because honestly, it just became a debate about all of that foreign aid money, which even Lam Lindsey Graham had admitted was only 1% of American spending. He is literally trying to burn this country down on his way out, as I said at the beginning. And all we can do is push and make it very clear as we go into these Senate races in Georgia, Rachel, which party has people's back and which party is in the White House? And so, yeah, my main concern with Amy Klobuchar there was not actually supporting the $2,000 idea. She kind of vaguely said, well, yeah, we had a bill that would, you know, increase the amount of money, but she didn't really sound like she supported it. And I don't think she actually does. Now, let's scroll up because I have yet another, yet another um, response here. There it is. Let's get it from the beginning, though. I don't want to start in the middle. Lego. I don't think the $2,000 checks. This is coming from former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers. Uh, make much sense. The real issue is going to be sustaining this expansion. You think about it, the 908 stimulus bill probably would pay out 200 to $250 billion a month for the next three months. The level of compensation is running about $30 billion a month below what we would have expected it would. GDP is running about $70 billion a month below what we would have expected it would. So in a way that's quite unprecedented, we have stimulus already much more than filling out the hole. And given that lots of the hole is from the fact not that people don't want to spend, but that they can't spend because they can't take a flight and they can't go. And of course, none of that's true because during Thanksgiving, everybody went like not everybody, but two million Americans, two, mi two million Americans took flights. Uh, the airlines are still open. It's actually more consumer confidence that is at risk here. And people being um, aware that the virus is around are not feeling comfortable spending their money, especially if it has to go into their savings where they might need it later. So it's definitely more of a consumer confidence issue because so far um, there's only three or four states that actually have uh, restrictions to going out while the rest have none. Um, they do have, you know, recommendations 
and uh in in the state that i live in everything is open except for like you know theme parks and water parks but those aren't major drives for our economy um so i i i had even on somewhere on twitter and it would take me forever to look for it but i had posted to trump because he said you know look at what these lockdowns have done to our country when really there's only four or five states that are under uh social distance restrictions actually like there's a couple places with curfews and there's other places that actually have their businesses shut down one of them being uh california another being pennsylvania but uh four out of 50 states uh that shouldn't hurt our gdp and our uh i guess uh revenue uh that much to that to that extent um, it's definitely more of a consumer confidence issue. Go to a restaurant. I don't necessarily think that the priority should be on promoting consumer spending beyond where we are now. So I'm not even sure that I'm so enthusiastic about the $600 checks and <laughs> I think taking them to $2,000 would actually be a pretty serious mistake that would risk a temporary overheat. But of course, like we have the uh, payment protection program, which was reimbursed with the COVID relief bill, which offers billions of dollars to corporations to uh, basically get loaned money, um, you know, vast amounts of money in order to pay their employees, pay their bills and bail them out. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars going to entrepreneurs and millions upon billions of dollars going to major corporations. Um, the thing is about that too, is it's not necessarily, they call it a loan all the time, but there is a stipulation that if you actually report where the money went, you get to keep the money. So as long as the government gets to track the money, then the business or entrepreneur who, uh, took out the loan actually gets to keep the money. So I would like to see more assistance to state and local governments. I would like to see more money put into testing. Uh, more money put into accelerating uh, vaccines. I'm all for that too, but the uh, thing is, is that of, of course we do need to support the citizens who have had their hours cut or their uh, even full furloughs have been going on. People have lost their jobs. People have been dipping into their savings for emergencies, and this is a state of emergency. Um, you know, hospital debt is built by having COVID as well. So I think you know a bit of relief for the people uh, would go a long way especially for that consumer confidence and stimulating the economy, paying off landlords as well. But gosh, David, I think it would be a real mistake to be going to uh, $2,000. And I have to say that when you see that. Nope, my bad. You can almost be certain that something crazy is in the air. And so when I see a coalition of Josh Hawley, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump getting behind an idea, I think that's time to run for cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump agree on something, we should just outright ignore it. Um, yeah, thanks to the former Treasury Secretary for the wisdom of let's just focus on state and local governments testing and you know as if that's not in the bill um let's see here 
I just wanted to put this because NBC News had reported, and this has to do with the $2,000, but NBC News says more than 50 million people living in America, including 17 million children, will likely experience food insecurity by the end of the year, according to Feeding America, the country's largest anti-hunger organization. And that reminded me of an old story. It comes from 2012. It's a research uh, article, uh, several researchers there, one from the Institute for Food and Development Policy, another from the University of Berkeley, California, California, Berkeley. And the research was from July 2012, and it says here, we already grow enough food for 10 billion people and still can't end hunger, which means the uh, access to food isn't the problem. People uh, having money to access that food is the problem. Because people cannot have food unless they can trade it in for dough. You gotta you gotta turn that dough into into sustenance for your survival. So that's what I had from Twitter. Now before we get into the rest of it, I wanted to start with this WRAL article saying fact check social media mixes up COVID relief omnibus bill. It was posted December twenty-third with an update on December twenty-third, about four hours later. So, it's by Miriam Valverde, PolitiFact reporter. Let's get into it. I wanted to get into this because it goes over uh, basically the essentials of what you need to know inside of the omnibus bill. And that's going to be important for the video segments that we are going to get into. So, let's begin. Shortly after lawmakers agreed on sending $600 stimulus checks to many Americans, Facebook users said the COVID-19 relief bill put foreign interests and the arts above the needs of the American people. Quote, every American left and right should be calling for a hashtag veto of this stimulus deal, which provides more funding to foreign governments and to American arts centers than to the American people, said a December 21st post. The post included a picture listing domestic entities in foreign countries appropriated millions, if not billions of dollars, juxtaposed with just $600 for the American people. Under domestic funding, oops, messed up the video. Under domestic funding, for instance, it listed the Kennedy Center getting $26,400,000. And it shows a bit of the post there. I think uh, overall the $600 equates to $166 billion, so keep that in mind. Now let's continue. The post mentioned at least eight foreign countries receiving aid, including Egypt, Sudan, and Ukraine. According to the post, Egypt would get $1.3 billion. The post was flagged as part of Facebook's efforts to combat false news and misinformation on its newsfeed. The Post is right that Congress appropriated funds for foreign aid and for American art centers, and Americans are free to disagree that taxpayer money is allotted in this way. But it's wrong to suggest that such funding is in the COVID-19 relief bill. And I've been on Twitter having that argument, is that yes, you are allowed to disagree with uh, taxpayer money being spent. You know, that's that's part of your free speech. You can disagree with these things. But unfortunately, we do live in a constitutional representative republic, meaning that we uh, elect people to represent us. And this is the people. This is what you voted for. Um, so if you don't like it, you need to replace your Congress members. You need to call them and let them know that you don't support foreign aid. 
Um, I, on the other hand, support foreign aid for certain issues. Um, I don't like a lot of things that we spend our money on and for, you know, the motivations behind them. But at the same time, too, uh, foreign aid isn't inherently bad. If you're, you're, you're only like a America first nationalist, if you believe that that's just inherently bad, that we shouldn't spend any money foreignly, uh, internationally. But the article continues here. On December 21st, lawmakers in both chambers of Congress passed a $2.3 trillion spending package, a roughly $1.4 trillion omnibus bill consisting of 12 different bills to fund the government during fiscal year 2021 and a separate approximately $900 billion bill specifically for COVID-19 relief. Lawmakers also passed several other small bills. It's the $1.4 trillion part of the package that included funding for U.S. policies and priorities within the country and abroad. The Facebook post conflates provisions of the COVID-19 relief bill with provisions in the omnibus spending bill. COVID-19 relief bill. So it says it's been about nine months since a $2 trillion COVID-19 relief bill was signed into law by President Donald Trump. Some members of Congress were frustrated that legislative leaders released the new bill, 5,593 pages long, just hours before they were expected to vote on it. Some people argue that Americans should be getting more than $600 in direct payments, and the Facebook posts echo that sentiment. At the same time, the posts don't mention the other forms of relief that will be available to some Americans, including unemployment assistance. Overall, the COVID-19 relief bill totals more than $900 billion. Americans who meet specific income criteria are expected to get $600. The relief bill includes about $166 billion for the stimulus checks, according to a breakdown from the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. Here's the group's breakdown of what else is in the bill. $325 billion in aid to small businesses, which includes Paycheck Protection Program, $120 billion for unemployment assistance, $300 a week for 11 weeks, $82 billion for education, such as K-12 education grants, $56 billion for healthcare, includes funding for states to do COVID-19 testing, $45 billion for transportation, includes payroll support program for airline workers, which, again, not public, so that's a bailout for the airlines, specifically from the airlines that is separate from the PPPs. Very interesting. $83 billion of other spending, such as rental assistance, nutrition programs. And $40 billion for other tax cuts, such as extend and expand employee retention tax credit. Uh, funding for foreign countries, arts, and other spending bill. The Facebook post says that lawmakers provided aid to at least eight foreign countries in the COVID-19 relief package, including $1.3 billion to Egypt. That's not part of the COVID-19 relief bill. The omnibus spending bill under the header Foreign Military Financing Program says that $1.3 billion is to remain available until September 30th, 2022, and should be made available for assistance for Egypt. It stipulates several conditions for the disbursement of those funds. For instance, $225 million will be withheld until the Secretary of State certifies and reports to Congress that the Egyptian government has taken steps to improve the rule of law, democratic institutions, and human rights. Which, to be perfectly honest with you, and this is not the article, but me, saying that Egypt has been pretty bad at those things. So, uh, I guess incentivizing them is an interesting way to get them to stop uh, monetarily. But uh, at the same time, I just I don't know. It's 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 hard to say just because we do have a lot of issues here domestically. 
Um, but I, I do hope that it, it, it can steer them into a more democratic state, unfortunately. They are not. So uh, the article continues. Appropriation bills usually include foreign aid, commonly for military and human humanitarian aid, which is funny as fuck because we, we fund both. Because, uh, you know, military aid and human humanitarian aid kind of like, I don't know, they, they conflict with each other in certain aspects. Um, it goes on to say here, our reporting has shown that foreign aid historically represents about 1% of the overall federal budget which is something that Lindsey Graham had said on Fox. Polling has shown that average Americans assume the U.S. spends about 31% of its budget on foreign aid. The omnibus spending part of the package passed by Congress also calls for $26.4 million to remain available until September 30th, 2022 for the John F. Kennedy Center's Operation Maintenance and Security. The Facebook post flags that appropriation, but omits that it's part of the omnibus spending bill not part of the COVID-19 relief bill. The domestic funding and foreign countries funding in the post are part of the omnibus spending bill, not the COVID-19 relief bill. The total of the foreign aid and domestic funding mentioned in the Facebook post is not greater than the funding in the COVID-19 relief bill. So no pay raise for Congress. Other Facebook posts also claimed wrongly that Congress snuck a pay raise for its members into the new legislation. It did not. The same claim was made about the CARES Act in March. As we reported, congressional pay raises are fixed to the Employment Cost Index, which measures changes in wages. Pay increases are automatic unless Congress votes them down, which it has done repeatedly since 2009, according to the Congressional Research Service. Section 7 of the legislation says, quote, Notwithstanding any other provision of law, no adjustment shall be made under Section 601A of the Legislative Reorganization Act of 1946 to USC uh, United States Code 4501, relating to cost of living adjustments for members of Congress during fiscal year 2021. A Facebook post claimed that a COVID-19 relief bill, quote, provides more funding to foreign governments and to American arts centers than to the American people, unquote. The post conflates provisions of the $900 billion COVID-19 relief bill with provisions of a separate $1.4 trillion omnibus bill, but both were part of a broader $2.3 trillion package approved by Congress. The overall spending bill included funding for American art centers and foreign aid, but the funding was not included in the COVID-19 relief bill. It was part of the $1.4 trillion omnibus spending bill. The Facebook post contains an element of truth, but ignores critical facts that would give a different impression. The WRAL has rated this fact mostly false. All right, so now we got a bit of understanding of the bit of narrative that's actually going on right now and a bit of context of the uh, difference between the domestic funding, the foreign aid, and the COVID relief bill, all three being separate. So now we're going to begin with Dan, uh, Ben Shapiro on Daily Wire with his opinion. Okay, so what exactly is, let's start at the beginning. What exactly is in this COVID relief bill. According to Emily Zanotti, writing for the Daily Wire, Daily Wire, Congress is set to pass two major spending bills on Monday, a nearly $1 trillion coronavirus relief bill and a $1.4 trillion omnibus bill in a record-setting vote that will fund hundreds of government programs and, according to lawmakers, assist individual Americans struggling to make ends meet because of COVID-19-related restrictions. 
The bill does, in fact, contain some help for those facing economic struggles. In addition to providing a second round of direct stimulus checks to individual taxpayers, this time 600 bucks, the bill extends federal supplemental unemployment benefits, right? That is the really big check. It's not the $600 check. It is the extension of federal supplemental unemployment benefits. The jobless, as well as gig employees experiencing a slowdown in business, can now get an extra 300 bucks per week through March, through mid-March. So if you are on unemployment insurance, you're really talking about like an $1,800 check every month. You're not talking about $600, you're talking about $1,800. And that is on top of whatever state aid you are getting as well. The coronavirus relief package expands paycheck protection as well, opening up $248 billion in funding for loans to struggling businesses, even as evidence emerges that millions from the first round of PPP loans went to connected corporations. This is, of course, the great risk of all of these bills as they turn into cronyism and they're packed, jam-packed with like a bunch of crap that doesn't mean anything. This time around, the COVID-19 bill contains special grants for specific industries, $20 billion for businesses in low-income communities, $15 billion for struggling live venues, movie theaters, and museums. I'm not sure it is worthwhile bailing out movie theaters, to be perfectly frank with you. And this comes as from somebody who loves movie theaters. I love movie theaters. My wife and I used to go on lots of dates to movie theaters before the COVID shutdown happened. I love seeing movies in the theater. I'm, I think it's a great tragedy that, that this may be a communal experience that goes the way of the dodo bird. But I don't know why we're spending $15 billion to bail out movie theaters. Not given the fact that you've got places like HBO Max that have already explain that they are going to simultaneously release things in theaters and at home, which means that people are just not going to go to theaters. I think that movie theaters are going to be the last thing to come back and it's going to become more of a specialty thing. I don't think you're going to see movie theaters on, you know, every other corner the way what that they used to. What an incredibly long There are a number of breaks for businesses, according to Emily, some of which haven't gone over well on social media. The relief bill includes a two-year tax break for business meals. This is a priority for President Trump, apparently, and rolls over a variety of temporary tax breaks known as extenders, for some for multiple years. The business meal deduction has been labeled the three martini lunch deduction, but very few people aside from key Democratic legislators in major cities are having many dine-in luncheons, as uh, Emily Zanotti suggests. The bill also helps renters. There's a $25 billion assistance program and a continued eviction moratorium. Under the COVID-19 relief deal, $13 billion will go to food benefits, $15 billion to a program for direct payments to farmers to assist in keeping American food production afloat. Well, I wasn't aware that we had like a problem in keeping American food production afloat, considering that demand is still kind of the same in the American food markets. It's just going through different channels, just not going through restaurants. There are big handouts in the bill. Airline- <laughs> yeah, but like restaurants are still like have to order food. Refuse to connect. That's an interesting um, aspect. I was just trying to do a little bit of fact check, but it doesn't look like USDA is going to let me onto their website. That's bad. That's too bad. But I know from the uh, trade war with China, the farmers were actually hurting a bit let's see all right so this is just overall information i needed more update from 2020 but i can't really find the update that i'm wanting to get Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's the same website. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not finding. Yeah, uh, dude, dude, I'm not finding anything. Uh, too specific on this. Unfortunately, it's not really reported on too hard. Um, let's see. Let's see here. Uh, approximately two million. Two million farms throughout America in twenty seventeen. Uh, Where does our food come from? The United States imports about 15% of its total food supply. While the bulk of our meat and dairy is produced domestically, we import approximately 32% of our vegetables, 55% of our fresh fruit, and 94% of the seafood that we consume annually. Our top countries of import are Canada, Mexico, France, Italy, and China. Mexico is responsible for nearly half of our total fruits and vegetable imports while canada is responsible for around 19 percent of our total meat and fish imports with australia china and india not being far behind let's see how has covid 19 affected food producers it is important to understand that the biggest threat to the global food supply chain as of right now isn't necessarily to produ production itself in many cases farmers have been able to produce just as much as they were before the crisis. As it stands, the production of many staple crops, such as wheat, corn, and soybeans, is largely mechanized and has therefore been less affected by the crisis as fruits and vegetables. The issue we face right now is one of transportation, where tight restriction on trade and movement have compromised the ability of food items to actually get to the market. This has led to instances of mass dumping, evocative of Great Depression era inefficiency. The food supply chain being an intricate series of steps can break down entirely if producers are unable to sell their goods, which might actually be the issue here, which Ben Shapiro was talking about uh, production and not so much of consumption. Additionally, American agriculture is heavily dependent on migrant workers, up to 2.7 million of whom are undocumented. General living conditions of these workers leave them at much higher risk of infection of coronavirus, given that many live up with live up to live with up to 10 other people in cramped quarters, share transport and are often subject to dangerous chemicals that can worsen coronavirus cases. More than that, they're often undocumented status leaves them largely unable to receive adequate medical care. One component of the food processing industry that is being hit particularly hard are the meatpacking plants. According to a report in the New York Times, a mere 50 slaughterhouses are responsible for around 98% of domestic meat processing. Indeed, the report noted, quote, shutting down one plant, even for a few weeks, is like closing an airport hub, unquote. As of May 7th, 15 major meatpacking facilities were offline with American port production, pork production having dropped by half. Grocery stores might have to reduce meat offerings by a third by Memorial Day, with prices around 20% higher. More than a third of America's total meat processing plants are located in countries with infection rates that are among the highest in the country, so more closures are expected. When they do reopen, re uh, when they do reopen, production could still be reduced by up to 15%. So there's an issue. And then also uh, inspection workers having issues, you know. Um, and then, of course, the retailers have also been having to throw out uh, food that's going bad because of lack of consumption. But apparently here, grocery shopping has increased by 26% with online services experiencing spikes of up to 150%. Nice. So it's actually not necessarily 
a uh, consumption issue either, but production could still face hindrance in certain aspects. So it's a more focused, I guess, it, that the spending itself would need to be more focused on who exactly needs it depending on what they grow or what they produce. Meatpacking seems to have a difficult time with the amount of uh, people that they have possibly catching COVID and them having to uh, stall production. Airlines get $15 billion. Again, I'm not sure that that is worthwhile. I'm not sure that the taxpayer should be paying out airlines who've experienced this shock and setback. You don't want them going bankrupt. You want them still existing, obviously. But it seems to me that airlines, it's going to be a while before people are traveling in quite the way they, they, they used to. Uh, people are not going to travel casually quite as easily for probably a couple of years, particularly if you're elderly. Airports are going to get $2 billion. Amtrak is going to get a billion dollars. So I guess that leaves Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg particularly happy. Very, very romantic, Amtrak. Higher education is going to get $82 billion. Higher education should receive $0. Okay, they should not receive $82 billion. Higher education is wildly overpriced. It's been pushed up in the marketplace by federal loans in the first place. There's a good case to be made that huge swaths of higher education should be left on the cutting room floor, including many of the what we would call North Campus majors at UCLA, the liberal arts majors, should be left on the <laughs> cutting room floor. I do not know why we are dumping out $82 billion to higher education, particularly at a time when you are looking at places like Harvard that have billion-dollar endowments. That makes See, and he's actually making, I don't know, besides the liberal arts thing, um, but he's he is making, sig I, I consider, valid points about the spending, which, again, I support under the First Amendment speech. Everybody should say what they don't support their tax money going towards. But he, in his headline of his title, he's conflating this as if it's part of that relief bill, because it says here, massive COVID relief bill includes an insane amount of wasteful spending, which I guess, you know, that section there, yeah, this is, this is for the... Uh, yeah, this is actually for the relief bill. Okay, never mind. I I thought he was talking about the omnibus in it. I, it's not that that specifically might actually be attached to, uh, COVID relief. I did not see that in the fact check up here, but yeah, that that probably is. Yeah, it just wasn't really in this section here talking about higher education, but um, yeah. No sense to me. The U.S. Postal Service also wins big. Congress used the bill to forgive a $10 billion loan to the U.S. Postal Service, a loan they gave to the service in an earlier coronavirus relief bill. The USPS has no hope of ever paying back. States will get $20 billion to help purchase vaccines. Yeah, but it's because they've been gutting it for like over 10 years. It's, it's definitely, it's taken some hits, especially since it has to put so much money in reserve, like more money uh is in reserve for their employees retirement than they actually could ever make um they would have to increase their prices exuberantly to enable to in order to cover that cost when i think you know that we we should make the government revenue actually uh pay for the retirement of government employees vaccines and distribute them they also get 20 billion to help with expanding COVID 19 testing they don't get a bailout for the economic damage they've incurred during the extended virus lockdown Democrats pushed for that. Republicans said no. On the other hand, Republicans were pushing for a limit to legal liability for corporations based on COVID, right? If they said you need to come to work if you're not sick and then people came to work and they were sick, people were going to. No, that's not specifically what it was. It's, you know, if, if, you know, if they did 
you know, let's say if you actually had a positive test and they told you to come in anyways, but it's mo mostly about like protecting companies from their unsafe working conditions. If they took like zero precautions of blocking people from coronavirus, say like a meat packaging plant didn't, uh, you know, require masks or any necessary steps to protect their employees and at a meat packing facility because of the temperatures in it, they were at higher risk, especially working indoors. Um, so yeah. The, the liability thing was obviously a cop-out for companies to uh, put, you know, uh, let's say, uh, unhumane working conditions. Sue these corporations. Apparently, they still can, theoretically. There are further expenditures that are now coming to light. Apparently, the final draft of the bill contains a number of handouts for Congress, including a provision paying for the additional pandemic expenditures incurred by the Congressional Daycare Center. Ooh, sounds great. And five million bucks to protect members from the coronavirus by expanding testing and increasing the budget of the congressional physician. Also, the Washington, D.C. government got $38 million in reimbursements for its work controlling protests and providing security. Uh, I just, why? Did they do a good job with that? Did I miss the part where the Washington, D.C. government did a fantastic job controlling protests and providing security when people were literally running through downtown Washington, D.C., just breaking store windows? That, that, that's I mean, we can remember the day that like William Barr and Trump had uh, federal troops go out and push protesters back with tear gas and rubber bullets so that Trump could go to a church and take a picture. There was also an article floating around that they were thinking about using a heat ray uh, to try and uh, get protesters to go home. Um, a heat ray. Like what? Seems Come like on. a waste of money. It Facts. I mean, it, it is uh, uh, that big of a waste of money when it's been mostly peaceful protests. But of course, Ben Shapiro's not going to call him that. He's going to call him violent riots. Oh, yes. Oh, man, I have to actually get this Tulsi Gabbard video. We have the other ones to get into, but I want to hear what Tulsi Gabbard thinks real quick. So joining me now is Tulsi Gabbard, Congresswoman from Hawaii. She oh, she's a Democrat, but she, like is just my enemy more than most democrats i think but we'll, we'll see as as time continues on i do agree with her policy on ending the endless wars um but everything else uh she seems to actually fit a more conservative ideal i'm not a democrat myself but it's just uh she she really grinds my gears, so I'm, I'm excited. She is one of two House Democrats who broke with their party and voted against the stimulus bill, and she joins us now. Uh, Congresswoman, great to have you here tonight. Thank you for Thanks, being Martha. here. So why did you vote against the bill? Because this bill was a slap in the face to the American people, people who are sitting in their cars waiting in line for hours to get free food from the food bank, people who've been without jobs for months, People who are, are concerned about getting evicted from their apartments or their homes because they haven't been able to pay their rent. And see, I agree with her because we've gone over like nearly 300 days since a stimulus bill was passed and help uh, Americans pay their bills. But um, yeah, that I, I agree with her on that sentiment. But when it comes to time to actually giving them money, she just doesn't like it. I'm sure she might. I, I hope she argues for the fact that $600 wasn't enough after passing uh, $1,200 like nine months before. So nine months since getting $1,200, Americans have just been having to deal with their situation. 
uh, to say that it's okay to give hundreds of billions of dollars to corporate special interests, to foreign countries, uh, to the military-industrial complex, but to the American people who are struggling and— I mean, she's, she's sounding like a populist, anti-establishment type person, because all of that is, like, spending as usual. It's just uh, really being being like exaggerated and hyperbolic because it's attached to the COVID relief, which was an abysmal $600. Suffering and who need help the most, you get 600 bucks. It's an absolute insult and the American people deserve better. You know, on the defense bill, uh, as I said, there is $7 billion in there. We heard from uh, General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, that he was very concerned about the Chinese buildup of the Navy. He feels that we are unprepared um, in terms of our naval ships, and he wants to put that money towards that. Do you mm. think that that is... Because, like, even though we have the greatest military in all of the planet, we, you know, if we don't have the greatest one sector of the military. If one of our branches isn't the greatest, then, oh boy, we got to flood that money. Uh, a wise idea. And how ready do you think we are, given your own experience and uh, your service in Iraq? Oh, uh, well, that, that's a, a very big topic about our defense priorities and, and whether you look at the big, massive spending bill that uh, I voted against a couple of nights ago, that's, that's one area where we should be asking questions about how our taxpayer dollars being used in a responsible way that best serves the, the emergency that we are facing. I think you're also talking about uh, this National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, it, it is, I've actually voted against this bill when it came to the House floor for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is a massive bloated spending bill. Uh, it, it heightens up the, the new Cold War we're in with uh, increasing tensions between the United States and Russia and China, really with serious consequences. We're talking about nuclear-armed nations here, and we've got to focus on how we can best de-escalate those tensions. But it also includes a provision in there that ties this president or any president's hands as they're trying to bring our troops home uh, from Afghanistan. So, you know, I know Trump vetoed this bill earlier today, and one of the main reasons he did so was because of this provision, Section 230, right? This thing that has to do with <laughs> giving big tech companies like Google and Facebook. Which has like nothing to do with the military whatsoever. It's only Trump's pettiness and his disdain for them marking his tweets. And, you know, it's a massive conservative talking point because it's constantly knocking down their uh, misinformation campaign. So it's funny that like Tulsi Gabbard jumps on that bag bandwagon. And I would not be surprised if at some point she shifts parties. And then we get a why I left the left video from her too. Book and Amazon, total legal immunity. And the reason why he's taken a stand on this, and I, I support his position on this, is because Congress has failed to act in, in making sure that the American people have uh, a fair and free opportunity to the public square and to make sure that these tech companies that are censoring people, that are choosing whose voices are heard and whose aren't, taking sides in political elections, that they are not... I mean, she kind of gave a hint there that she's, she's okay with misinformation. That she's okay with like people who uh, uh, basically swerve the perspective of Americans, like that's okay with her if there's an uninformed public because of misinformation, which is extremely dangerous to democracy. Immune from lawsuits. And so I think it's a critical thing to hold Congress's feet to the fire because I've introduced legislation to, to fix Section 230. Other people have as well. They have failed to take action and the American people 
uh, deserve to know that these big corporations uh, don't have greater influence over their representatives in Congress uh, than the American people do, which is unfortunately the situation that we're in right now. Yeah. Um, just quickly before I let you go, I know that you spoke out about the fact that some members of Congress, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, was showing off her vaccination. She did a cute Instagram video of, you know, the whole thing. And um, it, it sort of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. What do you want to say about that tonight? Um, look, I, I, I think of people like my aunt, who is you know, she's 65 years old. She has a severe uh, uh, underlying health condition that's compromised her immune system. She, can't, she has basically been imprisoned in her home because she knows that if she goes out, she faces a very real danger of dying if she catches COVID. It is people like my aunt. It is the elderly, the most vulnerable, who should be getting this vaccine first. I agree with her, but here's the thing is that it was actually like policy, like I covered a video from Mitch McConnell who was saying that the reason why members of Congress were getting the vaccines first is because of the uh, continuity of government. So it's not like it's not like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez paid her way ahead. She just happened to be in the right position that got her ahead of average citizens. And that's the meritocracy that we live in. Like that's that's a systemic issue, Tulsi. Don't don't blame it. Don't throw shade on AOC for the sake of Fox News viewers who obviously you're trying to placate to right alongside our first responders and and high risk healthcare workers, uh, because this is this is really a matter of life and death for them. Uh, for others, if, if my colleagues, I've called on them, if members of Congress, if you are healthy, if you are under the age of 65, join me in refusing to get the vaccine at least at, at, until our seniors and elderly Americans are able to do so. I guess you could refuse. I guess you could. But um, I think uh, Ocasio-Cortez is taking it because she wants to show publicly that she supports vaccinations because in this country uh, there's a lot of people who are anti-vax. And Tulsi Gabbard has a nice excuse that she doesn't want to take it unless, uh, unless you know, the most vulnerable get it first. But I wonder if eventually if she's going to say that she's never gotten it, she'll never need it. That would be a very interesting but not surprising turn of events. Um, and then the next video that Fox is recommending me is Rand Paul blasts socialist spending in coronavirus relief bill. Um, Rand Paul so enlightened that he thinks socialism and communism is when the government does stuff because uh unless there was actual voting by the people direct democracy uh nowhere near socialism but i'm not going to watch that video we're going to move on to when trump said this out the summer democrats cruelly blocked covid relief legislation in an effort to advance their extreme left-wing agenda and influence the election I guess so, but they also tried to pass like another round of $1,200 stimulus checks that Mitch McConnell refused to hold a vote for on the Senate. So you could actually accuse Mitch McConnell of doing the same exact thing um, because that bill came out well before the election and Trump could have signed it and looked really good doing so. But he didn't even really advocate for the Senate to take that vote up either. So, um, yeah, political posturing, circus, show, spectacle. Then a few months ago. Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, 
which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity. It's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia. And there you go. And there you go. Trump basically being on the same, same side as disinformation on Facebook. He, he being a mouthpiece for the same kind of um, nonsensical shenanigans because the omnibus bill and the COVID relief bill could have been separate bills voted on separately. But for some reason, lawmakers did decide to put them together for a single packaged vote. And unfortunately, it gave Trump the ammo to do this. $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment. $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan. $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business. $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. $7 million for reef fish management, $25 million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, a provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of downed trees, $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. The bill also allows stimulus checks for the family members of illegal aliens, allowing them to get up to $1,800 each. <laughs> but that's if those family members are filing taxes. Um, and then if they're getting that much money, that means they have an income above $75,000 a year. Um, so he's just attacking immigrants because, oh boy, do the nationalists love that. This is far more... Can you believe people who are related to undocumented immigrants are getting money? How dare they? And the Americans are given. Despite all of this wasteful spending and much more, the $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not And that's if you're under the if you're at $75,000 or lower. Anything above that actually gets more money. And, uh, you know, again, nobody's really making that clear that people who already make more money are getting more money. Meritocracy, anybody? Not enough money is given to small businesses, and in particular restaurants, whose owners have suffered so grievously they were only given a deduction for others to use in business their restaurant for two he's talking about that tax credit the tax credit but he seems to be ignoring the extension of the ppp loans which has been very consistent federally they've done that more often than they've done stimulus checks two years this two-year period must be withdrawn 
which will allow the owners to obtain financing and get their restaurants back in condition. Congress can terminate it at a much later date, but two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am <laughs> it's China's fault. Asking Congress to amend <sighs> this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the Wouldn't they get $4,000 if they're a couple, technically? What? Do you just have to show that you're in a relationship, Trump? What? What? <laughs> ...and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me and we will get it. I feel like he did that whole thing just to say that at the end, to still say that he can win the election, you know, because he's got to rile up the base up until January 6th when he wants them to really go wild in the streets of D.C. Done. Thank you very much. <laughs> what a oh, what a dirtbag. All right. So and that's where that was on December 22nd, three days before Christmas before the uh, birth of this nation's Lord and Savior. And then uh, immediately, right after that... Uh, News alert, President Trump averting a government shutdown, signing the massive $2.3 trillion spending bill, which includes $900 billion in coronavirus relief. The emergency fund... And yeah, he signed it anyways. He literally never says what he actually means. And since we've hit about the hour mark, I'm going to have to hit a pause and we will be right back with more talks, news. Got to give it to the masses, the masses. And we're back with more talks news. Continuing the COVID-19 relief bill package talk. This is part two. So if you haven't seen part one, go check it out. If you're on the podcast, you have nothing to worry about. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It gets spicy. Because after Trump gave a four-minute speech about how he can still be president and Americans deserve $2,000, this just came out. Oh, yeah, buddy. 
a government shutdown, signing the massive $2.3 trillion spending bill, which includes $900 billion in coronavirus relief. The emergency funds in the relief deal include $600 payments for every adult and child, an extra $300 a week in unemployment benefits for 11 weeks, $284 billion in funding for Paycheck Protection Program, and extending the eviction moratorium. On Capitol Hill today, Congress will vote on the president's demand for $2,000 checks to every American. Those checks, the major sticking point between Republicans and Democrats. It's terribly untargeted, right? Well, why would we be sending $2,000 to people with a six-figure income who've had no suspension, no reduction of their income at all? Given the terrible... That isn't every American. <laughs> it's just, I got to pause it right there. That's not every American, though. And uh, some of them might have had a pause. And that's, I, I like, I, I don't like when people make claims without uh, evidence or proof or any statistics whatsoever and just say things and just say it, you know, just get it out there in the zeitgeist and let everybody else mull it over. Uh, economic crisis facing this country. Yes, we do need to get $2,000 out to every working class individual in this country. So did President Trump's strategy help or hurt Democratic strategist Robert Petillo and political analyst Ron Meyer join me now to discuss. Robert, what do you think? Did the president help this situation or hurt it? He hurt the situation. Let's understand that President Trump had the ability to come out over the summer or even in the spring and say that he was going to demand $2,000 uh, direct payments to individuals. Why would you wait until the entire bill has already been negotiated and passed in order to throw a monkey wrench into the middle of it? These checks could have been going out this week, according to Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, but it's been delayed because of the president's uh, uh, breaking down and stopping these negotiations and trying to do this in a separate bill. We know that we're going to have Republican recalcitrant. And so, of course, he hurt this process. Ron, what do you think? Is Robert right or is this all Nancy Pelosi's fault from, again, back in the summer for demanding a gazillion dollars, not the official number, but it sure felt like it. In <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus Christ. I like how he's bipartisan up until a point, like uh, unbiased until it's time to represent, you know, her relief deal. Well, that's it. I mean, we can play the blame game all day, but Trump supported $2,000 plus payments for as long as I can remember, certainly going back to June. And yes, yeah, the Democrats. There's no proof of that whatsoever. There was like a White House aide had said that Trump wanted $1,200 checks to go out again. But again, like if Trump doesn't come out and say it, that's just like it's something that almost comes out in a leak form. Like it's so unofficial that it, it's almost meaningless. It's more meaningless than when he actually came up and said $2,000. Democrats did pass something, but it was filled with every sort of rider and spending package that was their dream, including bailing out states that haven't been smart with their money. And so, you know, I think we can go. And how are you going to like, are you going to prove which states were irresponsible with their money in order to, like, not give them the bailout? And are you going to look at states that actually have responsibly spent their money but are suffering still in this pandemic, which has slowed the economy around the globe? Like, are you going to pick and choose based on that? Or should just nobody get it because you don't think anybody deserves it? Go back and forth and blame and say, well, it could have been done earlier. We all know this. The Democrats were never going to pass a bill before the election. They did. They, they passed the HEROES Act. They did. They did pass a bill. That the president would actually be able to sign. And so they put... Oh, oh, okay. That the president would actually be able to sign. Oh, okay. So the bill that they had originally written called the HEROES Act, that was just... 
that that's just them doing something to that's that's more of that spectacle posturing too that, that that wasn't a serious thing they didn't think that the trump that trump would sign that ever as if like him signing it before election wouldn't make him look uber good put it they filled it with stuff that would make it totally unsignable because they wanted to make sure that nothing passed before joe biden was able to secure victory and so that was yep. that's been their yep Yep, that's so facts. That's just so facts that I can't even I can't even disagree with it. I can't even say that Mitch McConnell refused to hold a vote for the Heroes Act on the House floor or the Senate floor before the elections because he knew them voting it down probably would have made him look bad. I can't say that though because it's I just can't. Strategy from day 1. And so I think the president, you know, I think the president supported these big checks for a long time. He still supports them. He'd support a standalone rider that increases it to two grand. I think he, I mean, at this point, no one's really caring about federal spending. And the president certainly understands that. And I think nobody's really caring about federal spending. And yet that is all the gripes when it comes to any of this issue. He feels like direct payments are, you know, giving people their money back, and so that's really the least we can do when we're sending money across the world to various foreign countries. All right, let's let's switch gears to topic two now. The president firming up his Georgia rally plan for the day before those critical runoffs there in the Peach State. What do you think, Robert? Do you think the uh, stimulus signing is going to sway voters in any way, shape, or form, or is this are the results in this one already baked in? The answer is yes, it is going to sway because it directly affects their lives. Um, but I, I like the pivot here because Fox News never can hold a discussion about one subject for long enough. Like they could have actually gone over how important certain spending was. But rather than enlightening Americans on their tax money spending, let's just pivot. Fuck it. Well, the issue is that you've had Kelly Loeffler spending a half billion dollars on commercials, uh, criticizing Raphael Warnock for wanting to make direct payments to individuals. And now, a, a week before the election, President Trump coming out in favor of the exact policy that Raphael Warnock has been in favor of for the entirety of the campaign. Kelly Loeffler consistently throughout this pandemic is worried about enriching herself the same way that her husband, Jeffrey Spetzer, did in 2008 until 2009 with credit default swaps that caused a great recession. So these people have consistently demonstrated they feel that direct payments to the American people are unnecessary, but to help millionaires and billionaires is what they really care about. And I don't think President Trump is going to change that with a sudden trip to Georgia next week. Ron, you're... Yes. I like Robert Patillo a lot. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's me showing my bias, but I agree with almost everything that he said. Your response? Listen, I think that both of the current incumbent senators voted for the relief. I think they've supported additional relief from time to time. And what it comes down to really is momentum and people wanting a true. Mitch McConnell's bill in response to the HEROES Act was a $500 billion bill that did not include direct payments to Americans. Check on government. You know, when the president-elect gets sworn in January 20th, people are going to want to know there's a check and balance. And if the Democrats hold both the House and the Senate and the presidency, I don't think that's what the American people want. I think they want divided government. They want to make... They still have the Supreme Court, and then they'll still have, like, a less-than-majority in both the House and the Senate who can challenge every piece of legislation that comes across their desk. So uh, checks and balances not existing just because... Uh, a political party has all f uh, two pieces of the legislation and one executive, they still have their fail-safe emergency safe word button uh, of the Supreme Court. Um, so, you know, obviously just really masking what uh, checks and balances actually means.
um, you know, in the name of getting Republican shit done. Make sure that, that that D.C. is forced to compromise and that one party doesn't run rap shot over another. And if you look at these Georgia Senate races, I think that's what it comes down to. And especially when you have candidates on the Democratic side that really aren't in line with sort of moderate compromising values. They're really, you know, very hardcore progressive Democrats. And yeah, Warnock is hella progressive. He's really progressive and he lets it be known. And so do we really want the Senate to be taken over in that way when we have when we could have one party control? I don't think yeah. so. And I think that's they're that's scared. Why. I mean, he just sounds scared to have representation actually represent working class folks rather than, uh, you know, faceless conglomerate corporations. He, Ron Meyer is scared of that. You're going to see President Trump go down there to try to get some momentum for the Republicans uh, to close this thing off. And I think that Republicans do have the slight momentum here. We'll but it's see. going to be close. And you have to wonder if the president really just held his nose and swallowed his medicine here because That's even right. though he hates the pork in his bill, he doesn't want to do right. anything which distances the two Republican senators there and potentially it's all about makes Georgia. them lose. Yeah, it's all about That's what he did it for? That's what he did it for, is so that they wouldn't have to debate the issue anymore and look poorly in front of their voters, even though obviously they don't represent their best interests. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I was hoping that they were going to get more into the actual specifics of the bill, but of course that Georgia pivot was perfect for them to avoid that discussion. So to close out today's episode, we're going to get into this PragerView video called Is What is Big Green? I watched about a minute and 20 seconds and I was like, oh yeah, give me some more. But the thing is here too, is that the reason why I wanted to cover it is because the Green New Deal has been a uh, topic in this country about spending more money on renewable resources and shifting our economy away from fossil fuel, which would be which would be a massive shift for the economy, which entails government spending as well. So I feel like in essence, this really all has to deal with the same thing, which is where's our taxes going? And um, I'm sure the the overall objective of what is big green is to make the, the um, green revolution actually look like um, a major industry in the same way that fossil fuel is. So let's you know, PragerU is a fake university that does about five minute videos on YouTube in order to indoctrinate or even, you know, convince people to hold down their positions of reactionary republicanism. Really hard, really hard. And that's the effort there. Hold on. What up? I got a fat tip from Mercy's mom. You want some Sonic? Sure. On me. Sure. You want to look at it? No. Chili cheese, Coney. Long? Yep. Chili cheese tots. Cheese tots? Medium. No, I'll be okay. No, I had that. I'm okay. I'm gonna get into this PragerU video that's gonna say that like uh, green energy is gonna destroy America. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically funded from like Home Depot and a bunch of rich Republicans, and uh, they make like five minute videos that basically just like oversimplify and lie in order to either convince people that such and such is a bad idea or to get other conservatives to have like really vague talking points when they encounter someone who doesn't agree with them. But most of the time it, you, you can know when they watch Prager you, you'll know. Yeah. And they're also very related to the Steven Crowder. I was just about to say bringing this pro-choice claim the right to murder. Ooh, that was four hours ago, too. Change My Mind is back. Might have to do that on Wednesday. 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Brit. Talks News. Catch it on YouTube. I don't know if YouTube Find it on your favorite streaming podcast platform. I've, I'm in every one of his videos, you know that? Yeah. My roommate Brit is in every Crowder video. If you look hard enough, you will find her in the crowd somewhere. No, I'm the table man. Oh. I'm always the table. Oh, well, spoiler alert, she's actually the table. Yep. That was my frequent guest, Britt. She'll be back next episode. All right, Prager, take it away. You've heard a lot about big oil, big pharma, big tech, and all the other big bad players out there. I want to talk to you about the biggest, baddest one of them all. This Goliath doesn't deal in billions. It deals in trillions. I'm talking about big green. Yes, the environmental movement. It's the richest, most powerful big in the world right now. Nothing else. Mm, no, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's it's such an underdeveloped issue, you know, especially when like people have said, oh, we can't move to solar and wind. It's so inefficient and expensive. It, yeah, no. Already like, no. And we're 23 seconds in. No, no, it's not. Nothing else even comes close. Until we see it for what it is and rein it in, it's going to get even bigger. Yeah, if we actually start getting more concerned with the ecology, then, you know, we can, we'll have another oppressor on our hands if we get too concerned with the environment. What a great video to release as the, 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 the time bomb that is climate change is just encroaching on us. And as is usually the case, bigger is not always better. You see, Big Green wants to take over your life. It has to. <laughs> this makes perfect sense. Big Green, after all, intends to save the planet from oblivion. Your freedom would seem to be a small price to pay. To accomplish it- I mean, yeah, obviously in the society that we live in today, we do have to make compromises that would make it more ecologically balanced. Like our, our practices in most major industries, such as fossil fuel, agriculture, the military, a lot of things, our energy, you know, all of it, all of it has, uh, you know, upset the balance of nature and uh, for us to correct the course and possibly avert major disasters that will kill millions, if not billions of people. Um, it's mission, have to do Big Green needs it. two things money and power it already has a lot of both <laughs> well that's that's capitalism that's capitalism because honestly if we lived in a more socialist uh, society or communist or even anarchist it would depend on mutual aid money is the, the everything in capitalism it put money is the capital in capitalism come on but it's hungry for much more who do we mean when we say big green we mean the major organizations that set the agenda for the movement. This would include, among dozens, Greenpeace, 350.org, Nature Conservancy, Sierra Club, World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> Those are nonprofit organizations. How, how are they big industry when they're nonprofit? I'm, I'm sure they don't rake in nearly as much money as big oil. Like if they did, there would actually be an efficient fight against big oil and its lobbyists. And of course, the politicians, bureaucrats, corporations, and media outlets who support. <laughs> There's a cabal against you trying to save the environment at the sake of your freedom. Support and promote their agenda. <laughs> Before we get any deeper into this, let's stipulate a few things. The climate is changing. Oh, it appears, though we can't be sure, to be slowly warming. If it continues to warm, it could cause serious environmental problems sometime in the distant future 
I like how the PragerU has the balls enough to admit that climate change is real, but it's not going to implicate the uh, the worst actors and influencers of that climate change, which is a lot of our industries. Industrialization methods. probably plays a role in this Ooh, warming process. There it is. Probably. Probably. Not 100% not sure, but probably. Reasonable people should be able to agree on this. Nice. Democrat leader Nancy Pelosi and Republican leader Newt Gingrich actually once sat down together and said as much in a public service ad they made in the 1990s. But Big Green has no interest in being reasonable. Reasonable doesn't get you money. Reasonable doesn't get you power. So let's talk about the money. Greenpeace, Nature Conservancy, World Wildlife Fund, and Sierra Club all have financial assets in the $100 to $300 million range. Name a Fortune 500 company, and chances are they're writing big checks to Big Green. <laughs> yeah, but that's like that pales in comparison to Amazon, which you you know has to have the fossil fuel to transport all of its uh, all of its goods. That's a wow, just a wow, <laughs> wow. Let me see. Uh, fossil fuel industry revenue. Uh, in 2018, the total revenue of the United States oil and gas industry, uh, what, it, what is that word? My smudge, uh, came to about 181 billion us dollars. They're competing against 181 billion us dollars with 100 to 300 million dollars. Come on. Come on. Banking giant Citigroup, for example, has committed $100 billion to combat climate change. Uh, good. Good, but I'm sure it's like sparsed out over 10 years or something. I'm sure they didn't write like a one-time check. I'm sure it's sparsed out. Let's see. You know, we might as well do the fact-checking. Plus, also, it could be just like an investment for them because it is the future of energy if we're going to continue living on this planet. Um, yeah, see, it says $100 billion uh, environmental finance goal. Uh, city will lend, invest, and facilitate $100 billion over 10 years, beginning 2014 to 2023. Yep. But the real money is at the government level. In 2009, the Obama administration directed more than $110 billion to be spent on renewable energy investments under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act alone. And the thing is, though, is that none of that money goes to those organizations that he named. It goes to, like, actual businesses that generate, say, solar energy, wind energy, and other various alternative renewable resources. So, uh, you know, if we could get like the specific of those businesses, we might have a better argument, but still renewable energy probably isn't on the level of $181 billion of revenue. Um, this is investment to get, you know, it going. So that's interesting. What the taxpayer got for this investment, other than long forgotten $500 million boondoggles like Solyndra is hard to say. I don't know what happened to Solyndra. Hmm. Let's see. Wikipedia has it. I guess it was defunct in 2011. 
Uh, oh, it's pretty big. Shutdown and investigation. So between 2009 and mid-2011, the price of polysilicone, the key ingredient for most competing technologies, dropped by about 89%. The precipitous drop in the cost of raw materials for Solyndra's competitors rendered SIG's technology incapable of competing and other factors, including a contemptuous drop in the price of natural gas, together with the faltering of the corresponding financial models, also contributed to Solyndra's demise, despite quickly raising capital. On August 31st, 2011, Solyndra announced it was filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection laying off 1,100 employees and shutting down all operations and manufacturing. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder, it's probably a different story for certain businesses now, now that uh, solar energy, uh, it's, there's an article out, solar energy is actually the most, uh, it's the cheapest form of energy there is now. According to the best economic models, the Paris Climate Accord will cost the world $1 to $2 trillion every year. We have to create a new energy infrastructure. You have to spend money, money on it. And the unfortunate thing is, is that so far they haven't found a way to profit off of renewable resources because they're so effective, because the sun is massive in its energy. And with our batteries, we can reserve so much. So it's hard to make a profit off of something that isn't um, unsustainable like oil, which, you know, the lower, the lower amounts of oil we have, the higher those prices are going to go. Total cost for the Green New Deal, $52 trillion. Again, again, this is to reinvest in completely changing our energy consumption, our agricultural consumption as well with the Green New Deal. And the Green New Deal had other things that uh, added to that tax bill about also refocusing on like workforces and workers' rights and stuff like that. So it's, it's Minimum. more complicated than that. But money is only a means to an end. The end is power the power to transform society into what they think it should be. Yeah, uh, more ecologically balanced? Down. I'm, I'm down with it. But somehow that's coming off as if it's fascism? That's what this is really about. Here's how Shoykat Chakrabarty, the architect of the Green New Deal, described it to the Washington Post. It wasn't originally a climate thing at all. We really think of it as a how-do-you-change-the-entire-economy thing. Maybe oh, dear God. Oh, no. You like all this. That's fine. But don't pretend it's about protecting the environment. Tr I mean, it, unfortunately, like, we have to do both. We have to protect the environment. We have to change our economy. Energy consumption, food consumption. That all has to change, and that uh, those are major parts of our economy. Chakrabarty was being honest. You should be, too. It's about transferring more and more power to the government at every level, federal. No, but it's the government spending money on these infrastructures, which are probably going to be small or not small businesses, but businesses and upstarts that are going to take that money from the government in order to build our new energy infrastructure. Federal, state, local. And the way to get the power is to gin up scary scenarios. The planet is burning. The seas are rising. We're all these aren't these aren't scary like turn gig up or whatever gin up uh, scary scenarios. These things are happening. Um, the wildfires before winter came were insane. Uh, sea level rise is happening, and we've had hurricanes exacerbated by the conditions of climate change. 
all going to be dead soon unless we listen to those masters of disaster, Al Gore, Bill McKibben, and Greta Thunberg. And <laughs> I like how they always have to give examples of people that like right-wingers just don't like in order to like reinforce their argument. What have all their horror stories led to? A generation of young people who have nightmares about a planet burning up around them. Because they're the ones who are going to have to deal with the worsening conditions because we refuse to do anything about our CO2 emissions. Like, they should be concerned about it, and I'm glad that they're actually, like, protesting and bringing information out. Like, they're doing their fucking job. Whereas this guy is doing the opposite to get people to capitulate to suffering through climate change. When obviously the rich are going to have their bunkers to go hide into when conditions actually reach the worst that they could possibly get. How, how convenient. How, what a convenient lie. Poor people who pay higher energy bills than they need to because of massive subsidies for wind and solar power. But they could subsidize them so that poor people could afford them. And even now, it is becoming the cheapest source of energy, so it is becoming more affordable for people. And it's as if... Oh, God. Ooh. We just haven't really put the push forward to make sure that people can get these things rather than having coal, gas, and the other fossil fuels gouge poor people because they're seeing a reduction in their profits because of the green new energy that is coming out. Millions of birds, including endangered ones, dying. Yeah, guess what? And that's going to become part of natural selection, that birds are going to have to adapt and learn not to fly into those. And it's unfortunate, but even our CO2 emissions can, can uh, uh, attribute to the deaths of wildlife, especially with the wildfires that are exacerbated by climate change, killing vast amounts. And then we have Jair Bolsonaro, who in, in, in the Amazon rainforest, the most biodiverse place on the planet, was burnt to a crisp continually for our agricultural consumptions. Also, oil spills into the ocean, killing a ton of fish, and then sometimes even trapping birds in its tarry black death. Sliced to pieces by wind turbines. Yet in the midst of all the planet is burning, fear mongering, the world is cleaner, healthier, and richer than it has ever been. Uh, okay. All right, I just want to say real quick, the richer thing is true because we've been coming out of feudalism, but uh, the cleaner? Uh, access to clean water. Um, an estimated 790 million people. That's on the planet. With uh, That's 11% of the world's population are without access to an improved water supply. An estimated 1.8 billion people, which is 25% of the world's population, are there without adequate access to adequate sanitation. Access to clean air. Oh, that one doesn't come up quite as clean. Uh-huh. But there are a couple of articles that say here that uh, there is a right to breathe clean air. Um, India has oxygen bars where you can breathe in flavored oxygen because the air is so dirty there that they need to go to a bar and pay somebody for profit in order to breathe clean. Um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. 
Air pollution is one of the biggest global environmental and health challenges, and a global response is needed. At the heart of the problem is a lack of political will, a symptom of a legal and political order which puts private profit before public health. Part of the global response must therefore be legal frameworks which give effect to the right to breathe clean air. Um, I was hoping to find specific statistics, but I can't. So we're just going to have to move on. But there is clean air issues going on around the planet, especially the more industrialized your uh, city is, the less likely you are to breathe clean air. Like metropolitan cities have incredibly uh, polluted air because of the industrialization in the vehicles and such Deaths and such. from natural disasters are at all time lows. Here's why. Human beings adapt when faced with climate problems. We're really good at it. We've been doing. So, you know, you don't have to worry about climate change, killing your family members or killing people you love and know because you can adapt. You'll be fine. You'll be fine it for thousands of years sea levels rising build taller and better seawalls yep we'll just keep building walls uh as they just keep you know as the water level keeps rising we're just going to keep building walls and the walls will forever grow taller and forever protect us there's no point at whatsoever that that water will be able to abridge this whole planet and put everything underwater. Walls will protect us from immigrants and climate change. Walls. All we need is walls. Walls. That's what the Netherlands did. A good chunk of the country, including its international airport, is- But obviously that is like a temporary like solution. Like the, the only thing that is gonna stop sea level water from like from rising and killing their population is to actually get CO2 emissions down so that the pl planet can continue cooling itself in Antarctica and uh, the Arctic can rebuild itself. The North and South Pole are melting, which is contributing to the rise of seawater. It's below sea level. Need more water? Spread the gospel of drip irrigation and desalinization. Israel has more water. <laughs> you need more water? Water your plants. Yeah. Even though like water is, is decreasing, like the amount of water that we're even having on this planet is decreasing. Um, that's so funny. And he's just like, water your plants. The water depends... Uh, wait, the water demands are expected to increase in a changing climate due to changes in temperature and precipitation. For example, in a warming climate, increased rates of evaporation and decreases in snowpack will decrease the supply of fresh water in some U.S. river systems and groundwater available to human use. So uh, watering your plants is actually going to give you less water with the climate continues to change. Water than it needs, and it's in the middle of a desert. Need clean energy? <laughs> All right, how does Israel get its water? Israel's sources of water include underground water from the mountain and coastal plains, aquifers, groundwater from Lake Kenneret, rivers, lakes, floodwaters, and now water reservoirs. Underground water is the largest reserve of water in the country. Unfortunately, that's even more uh, e easily exhaustible than water that's uh, on the uh, you know surface level. So um, they have it for now. Build more nuclear power plants. Sweden gets half of its energy from nuclear. No yeah, 
but there's a lot of issues, like especially like how you get rid of toxic waste. And I would have to do more research specifically on how Sweden is taking care of their people with nuclear power. But, you know, uh, just I'm not really that for it just because like anything that can go wrong with nuclear energy can devastate entire cities and populations and ecosystems. None of these simple, practical solutions makes much of an impact on Big Green. You don't raise money off of common because they're 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 barely permanent solutions. Especially when we can have like solar panels and wind energy, which is much more safe and effective than building a wall around the ocean, uh, than nuclear power. And like, of course, generating water, we would literally just have to fix our climate and have that more at balance so that our seasons are more themselves are more balanced. Because the longer we have drier seasons, the less likely we are to have water. Sense. And you don't get political. He's really not thinking long term. Power telling people how good things are and you certainly don't become famous by being calm. Big Green is not poor, not honest, and certainly not powerless. It's time we all plug into that truth. I'm Rogan O'Hanley, a.k.a. DC Drano, for Prager University. Thank you. Honestly, if you're more concerned about your hamburgers than you are about ecological balance, I have nothing further to discuss with you. That has been this episode of Tox News. Um, you know, find me on Twitter, ToxinPod at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. Uh, and find this episode on YouTube where you can see the sources and other yada, 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 yada. Other than that, go read some Murray Bookchin because he is the anarchist to go to when it comes to so uh, ecological balance with society. He's a great read. He's a great lecturer. He was alive in the 90s, so he understands the issues that are going on today. And if that isn't enough for you, um, uh, there's one by, how do you say his name? Abdullah... Asalan, who led the democratic confederalism in Rojava, who also tried to implement more green solutions. So go check that out. Rather than uh, just believing PragerU off of its uh, baseless, sourceless, evidenceless, um, lazy propaganda. And yeah, that's it. That's 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 all I got for you. If, if you wanted more, um, check back Wednesday and Friday. I, um, oh, yeah. And then I have a special episode on Thursday going over Yuval Noah Harari's uh, Homo sapiens book, trying to get in some more theory and some more readings rather than just right wing talking points. But other than that, have a wonderful, wonderful life.